The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Last week we had a powerful service, wasn't it? The Lord really moved. It was the Holy Spirit moved powerfully and it was a blessing, a blessing. As we looked at the many blessings that we have in justification and in Romans 5, 1 through 11, we saw seven blessings that we looked at last week. And I want to review those because this week Paul builds on that and says, why can we be so certain that we actually will enjoy these blessings? So what were the blessings? Having been justified by faith, first of all, we saw God is not mad at you anymore. That God has brought peace with you because he's poured his wrath out on Jesus. Having been justified by faith, God grants you unrestricted access to himself. It's not based on your merit. You don't earn greater access with God. If you're in Christ, you are granted unrestricted access to God in his grace. Having been justified by faith, God guarantees full restoration. Now, these beautiful flowers are from the uh, funeral of Joe Calloway, uh, one of our members who passed away this week. And I'm telling you, this makes a difference to know these truths that he will receive full restoration in Christ. And so, having been justified by faith, we know that suffering will make you, not break you. That God is going to use it all for your good. It will not crush you. It will make you. you will, and it will enhance your enjoyment of the grace of God. Having been justified by faith... You can be assured that God loves you. Subjectively, the Spirit of God applies the love of God to your heart. and You know He loves you. You feel the fact that He loves you. That ebbs and flows at times. But ultimately, objectively, He says, look at the cross and think about it. He did that for you when you were His enemy. And so if He did that for you, loved you like that when you are His enemy, how much more will He do for you as His child? Having been reconciled. He loves you in Christ. Having been justified by faith, you don't have to fear the wrath of God. Whether it's through death or the coming of Christ again. Where at that time, he says, he will pour out his wrath on his enemies. You don't have to fear that if you're in Christ. Because you have no wrath left because he poured it out on Christ on the cross. And then finally, having been justified by faith. You can truly be happy. You can experience the life God expects you to live and designed you to live. It all makes sense. It all falls into place when you are in Christ. That doesn't mean it's always happy-go-lucky, but you are deeply satisfied in Christ that gives you the joy that sustains you in this life, knowing what is yet to come. So God wants our lives to be marked by a, a joy and a steadfast confidence called hope that is found in knowing these blessings that we have in Christ. He wants us to be different. He doesn't want our life just to be, okay, check the box, ask Jesus into my heart, I'm getting out of, out of hell, I'm going to heaven, and so that's taken care of, but the rest of the life, I'm going to just do the best I can, just like everybody else. No, no, no. He wants all that you have in Christ to radically transform the way you think, the way you act, the way you feel, the way you live each day. Has Christ made that much difference in your life? Has he made such a difference that you can truly face death without fear? That's what Paul says. I want Christ to make a difference in your life. 
Specifically to the Romans, he's saying, I want Christ to make such a difference in your life that this church is holy, is humble, and joins me on the gospel mission. And so we are going to be challenged today, encouraged today to understand some deep stuff. How to understand what has happened in Christ. And that's so that when you face trials and when you face tribulation, that you will be like a rock in the middle of it. And that only happens when your faith is mature, when your understanding of what has happened in Christ is deep. If only, if your faith is simply, though it's true, but if all there is to the depth of your faith faith is, I've asked Jesus into my heart, and so I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, that's wonderful, but that doesn't necessarily give you a bedrock understanding that sustains you in the difficult days of tribulation and death. Someone in my family shared with me again the reminder of 15 years ago when she was diagnosed with cancer that her faith she thought was great until she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and it rocked her world. She said, I was not ready. I was not going to witness for God. I was not able to, to do the things I see in the scriptures. God graciously has grown her, has saved her and spared her life of from death thus far, and she now has a depth of faith that she says, I really think I'm ready to face if I found out tomorrow that it came back. That's what we're talking about here. Has your understanding of the gospel impacted the very depths of your soul that it changes everything? That's what Paul says. I want you to be so certain of these things. Well, how can we be certain of these things? How can we be certain that we will see full restoration? How can we be certain that that suffering will make us not break us? What is the foundation of our hope? That's where Paul goes today. And here's what he's going to say. It's very difficult wording. But here's the main point. I'm going to tell you up front so that we don't get confused in the text. Here's the main point. The main point Paul is making in this passage is that our assurance is based solely on our corporate solidarity with Jesus. And you're like, well, that didn't help. (laughs) Corporate solidarity with Jesus. We're going to make sense of that. The main point is this. If you know your identity in Christ, you can have bedrock certainty that all those blessings that we celebrated last week are yours in Christ. Paul's argument is going to go like this. Every human being ever born was sinful and condemned in Adam, and every human being ever born again by faith in Jesus will be justified and restored in Christ. That's his argument. That's his logic. Paul's point is this. Your assurance of justification sanctification, that's making you, not breaking you, and glorification, that's full restoration in the future. Your assurance of that, you you can be as certain about that as you are certain about the fact that you're a sinner in Christ. You see, I think it's interesting that that's where he goes with this because think about it. When do doubts come the most? When you're not right with him, right? When you're caught up in sin or you're tangled up in something. And so he says, you got that from Adam. And as certain as you are that you got that from Adam, I want you to know you're going to get this from Christ. That's the logic 
that he's applying here. No matter how much you hate it, you're sinful and you're condemned and you hate that. And you got it from Adam. It's like you just, you just know it's a fact. He says, that's what I want you to know about what I've told you you've got in Christ. Paul is going to make this point first by highlighting the similarity between Adam and Jesus. And then he's going to make the point even further by highlighting the differences between Adam and Jesus. So first, let's look at the similarities between Adam and Jesus. Again, he's making the point, you can take it to the bank. All those blessings are yours in Christ. So how does he make this point? Well, let's look at the first thing. I want to to look at the structure of the passage. I'm going to read verse 12 and then 18 and 19 together. And the reason I do that is because if you look at your Bibles in verse 12, he says, therefore, just as, yada, yada, yada. And at the end, you see up there on the screen, that little dash, that's where he went and got off on a, a, an aside in verse 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And then he comes back to his point in verse 18 and 19. So I'm going to read 12, 18, and 19. And see, this is the main point he's saying about the similarities between Adam and Jesus. Just as Adam, even so Jesus. Just as Adam, even so Jesus. That's what he's going to do here. Therefore, I'm reading now. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin, verse 18... So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, just as through one, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 19, he summarizes it again. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. So the first thing Paul does here is he shows the similarity between Adam and Jesus. And he's saying, what we know about Jesus, I want you to know, what we know about Adam, I want you to know it's similarly true about Jesus. And so what is he saying about Adam? He begins with putting Adam as a head of the human race, a representative head of all who were born. Adam is their head. And he says, just as through that one man, sin entered the world, death through that sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, why is he talking about that? Well, what's he been saying for four chapters? Sin, sin, sinners, death, condemnation, wrath, all of us are sinful. And so he's made that point very clear. Let me just read a few of the things he's been saying in the first four chapters of Romans. He said, we're all under the wrath of God because we all suppress the truth of God, and we're ungodly. That's one eighteen and 19. 132, he said, we're all worthy of death. 2.5, he said, we all have stubborn, unrepentant hearts and are storing up wrath for ourselves in the day of judgment. 2.9, he says, we all face tribulation. 2.12, he says, for all have sinned. 3.9 through 23, all are lacking the glory of God. Our throats are open graves. Our mouth are wicked. Our tongues are wicked. Everything about us deserves wrath because we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all lacking the glory of God and we all deserve death. And now in our text today, Paul says, now where'd that all come from? You hate it. I hate it. We all hate it. But that's what we get in Adam. In verse 14, he's going to say Adam is a type of Christ. He's a prototype of Christ. He's one preceding and showing us something similar that Christ does. So Paul's point is that in Adam, Adam's sin affected all of humanity. No matter how badly we hate it, 
It affected us. In verse 12, he works through it progressively, saying, Adam sinned, sin entered the world, death entered with that sin, death spread to all men because all sinned. And so at that point, it might suffice to say, see, Adam's sin entered the world, and then we all did just like Adam. But he goes deeper and he goes further than saying we did the same thing as Adam. He actually connects it to what Adam did affected us. And it explains why we all sin, though we all hate it. Look at verse 18 and 19, and I'm going to read portions of it. In verse 18, he says, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. The, the sin of Adam resulted in condemnation for all men. Then verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam's sin made the many sinners. Adam's sin brought through Adam condemnation. We have through Adam condemnation, just like through Christ, we have righteousness. And so Paul is saying more than just a timing thing. He's not simply telling us that Adam started this whole process and we do the same thing Adam did. He's saying that actually what Adam did affected us. It it affected our very nature. He says that Adam's sin resulted in all of humanity sinning. And Adam's sin resulted in all of humanity being condemned. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul says, In Adam all die. Whatever Adam did, it, it somehow affected all of us in such a way that it's not just an example. It had an effect on us. Now, this is not the first time we see this in scriptures. We see in Genesis the same thing talking about the serpent, the woman, and the man. If you go to Genesis 3, listen to what we see. The serpent was a representative head of all serpents. God came in the, in the fall and said, Now you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust, referring to all, representative of all serpents. To the woman, he says, the woman Eve is cursed as a representative of all women. I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. Now, is that something that you had an option in childbirth? You have the pain of childbirth because in Eve you were cursed with the pain of childbirth. And men, we didn't escape it either. In Adam, Adam's curse is a representative curse for all men. Cursed is the ground because of you. In Adam, his curse became all of our curse. The, the, the world we live in, the work we try to do is frustrated. Where did that come from? It came from Adam. So what happened to Adam is not just an example. It affected us and it affected everything that we do. It affected who we are. It affected our nature. And we see another example in Joshua 7.1, the Old Testament. Achan is spoken about this way. It says that the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. Okay, so the people acted unfaithfully. How? When Achan... Sinned, he, the one person from the tribe of Judah, took something that was under a ban, and therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So Achan was the representative head of all of the people of Israel. Though he was one, his sin 
caused the Lord's anger against all the people. This is an example of what Paul is saying about Adam and us. Some people say Adam is just an example of all of humanity and that we all sin like Adam and therefore we're all condemned like Adam. But that logic destroys Paul's whole argument. He's not just saying Adam is an example. He's saying Adam's actions affected us. He says he's a type of Jesus. And we know the logic of his argument is you can take it to the bank that you have righteousness of Jesus because you have the sin of Adam. And so his argument, his logic is just like you know you've received the sinfulness of Adam, you can know with certainty you've now, if you are in Christ by faith through the gospel, you have received the righteousness of Christ. And so that's his argument. So working backward, we must think of Adam in the same way we think about Jesus. We may struggle to explain precisely how Adam's sin affected all of humanity, Theologians have debated over the years about just precisely how, but I think it's clear that Paul is saying Adam's sin affected our very essence of our being, our very nature, our very humanity at the core. And that's where he's going to go with explaining why we can be certain about Jesus' promises and blessings. So all of us, were condemned and made sinners in Adam. And now Paul is going to show how the same is similarly true about Jesus. Look at verse 18. Having established our solidarity with Adam in verse 18, he says it's so about Jesus too. Paul wants us to use this concept to have assurance. He says, just as through Adam, verse 18, the second part, even so... Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men who are in Christ, is the implication there. So do you see the logic? Just as Adam, even so Jesus. He does it again in verse 19. Instead of saying just as, he says for as. For as, through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Just as you are guilty in Adam, you are not guilty in Jesus. That's his argument. It's the structure of his logic. So just as Adam's actions implicated, I mean, impacted all of his children with sin, death, and condemnation, even so Jesus' actions impacted his children with life, righteousness, and justification. And to make this point even further, he makes this first part of his aside in verse 13 and 14. He goes deeper into the nature of sin. He's saying, now listen, I want you to understand this sin and what I'm talking about. He's saying it's not just breaking a rule that I'm talking about. I'm talking about this this sin of Adam is not just you break rules like Adam broke rules. He's saying you're a sinner just like Adam was a sinner. Where do I get that? Look at verse 13 on this aside that he goes off and interrupts himself. He says, now for listen, for until the law, sin was in the world. So he's saying, before the law of Moses was given, sin was already in the world. Even though you didn't know what it looked like specifically, you couldn't look at the law and say, oh, he broke that law, he broke that law. He says, but just because there was no law, there was already sin. 
But sin, he says, is not imputed when there is no law. He's saying, but sin is not reckoned as sin. It's not labeled as sin without the law, but it's still nonetheless sin. Well, how do you know that sin was reigning between Adam before Moses brought the law? How do you know? He says, because everybody died. Death reigned. And I've already told you that death came because of sin. And so all died between Adam and Moses before the law came. So you know that all were sinning and were sinners before they even knew the label to put on it. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. God spoke a command to Adam. That's his law. He broke that command. Okay, so we know, labeled that. You broke his law. He says, but everybody from Adam to Moses did the same thing, even though there was no law to label it. There still were sinners the whole time. How do you know? Because during that time, death reigned. So... The point is clear. Sin goes way deeper than just breaking some rules or breaking a command. He's saying that in Adam, we all became sinners. And that's the crux of his argument. I want you to know that as guilty, as corrupt as you know, when the last four chapters, when he nails us for our sin, and you know it's not just some deed that you did, you know that's coming from the heart. You know that's coming from your very essence of your being. It wasn't just a cognitive, uh, okay, I failed that and I accomplished. It was just who you are being exposed, Right? He says, I want you to know that that's what you got from Adam. Was the, your very nature was sinful and the law only revealed just how sinful you are. He's doing this because he wants you to know how deep and how transformative your faith in Christ actually goes. He's saying as deep as your sin went, the righteousness of Christ goes even deeper. It transforms who you are, the very essence of your being. You're a new race. And just like you can't do anything about your race and who you are, it doesn't matter how much you like it or hate it. You can't do nothing about it. Double negative, sorry. You can't do anything about it. It's who you are. He says, and that's the way it was, who you were in Adam. But for those of you, very same people who were that in Christ, in Adam, you, if by faith in Christ, have a complete new essence, a new being. You are a new race. You are a holy child of God. You are righteous in his eyes. You have been declared righteous. The the tribulations of this life are making you, not breaking you into righteousness. And you will one day be finished. It is certain that this will happen. Because it's who you are. It's not just a religious thing that you did. So understanding the nuances of our solidarity with Adam and how exactly that works out is subject to much debate. We can't miss his point. 
if we want to experience the depth of assurance in our soul, because that's the only thing that sustains you through trials, tribulations, and death. Those are the ones that you see it makes a difference because the deeper they get this theology in their heart, the deeper the righteousness of Christ is driven into the essence of their identity, it sustains us and changes us. As certain as your race, you are who you are in your parents. You can't change that or do anything to affect that. In Adam, the human race was sinful and condemned. But in Jesus, the Christian race is justified, being sanctified, and will be glorified. It's who you are in Christ. Take it. Take it to the bank. So Paul's first point is that Adam and Jesus are similar. So you can bank it. All those promises that are yours in Christ will be done. But in verse 15 and 17, he takes it a different direction and he says, now let me tell you about the differences. And he's using it to make the same point. Take it to the bank. The promises are yours. The differences between Adam and Jesus. Look at verse 15. Paul switches gears. He says, but Jesus or Adam was this, even so Jesus was this. Adam was this, even so Jesus is, but let me tell you how they're different. But the free gift is not like the transgression, okay? How is it not like the transgression? How is it different? How is the free gift of what we have in Christ different from what we have in Adam's transgression? Continuing in verse 15, he says how? He says, For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. There's many differences here between Adam and Jesus. The first difference is the difference of kind or a difference of process that John Selhammer talks about. Adam was of law. Jesus is of grace. He says the process by which Adam's sin resulted in death to all was one of legal consequence. Adam, as the head of the race, decided the consequences for everyone. Christ, on the other hand, provided a different process that did not operate merely within the context of legal consequences. It rather worked on the context of grace. So the death of Christ for the many was a legal satisfaction for sin, but it was much more, much more than that. It was based on God's grace. And so the penalty of death was the penalty that resulted from the application of the law, while the gift of righteousness was the free gift of God's unmerited favor. So what's he saying? He's saying the grace of God is way more powerful than the curse of Adam. Not only are the two different in kind, law versus grace, but we see the power of grace to overcome the multitude of the sinfulness and the condemnation that flows from that. In verse, in, in verse 15, we've already seen how much more. In verse 16, he says, it overcomes all the sin, all the condemnation. He says in verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, 
For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So here we see the much more grace that we have in Jesus is much more powerful than the curse we have in Adam and the death that we have in Adam. So that it results in justification despite the many, many transgressions that we know of. Jesus' grace is more powerful than Adam's curse. In verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of this gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So the curse of sin and death and Adam is very real. And we all know it. We all experience. We hate it. And yet we still do it. It's that powerful. Yet. In Christ. Take that. And the power of the grace of God. Is abundantly much more powerful. So that we can know. For certain, we will reign in life. How? Through the one Jesus Christ. Because you are a new creature in Christ. You're a new person, a new race, a new essence, a new identity. It's not just you did enough. It's not just you put enough in the offering plate. It's not just you came to church enough times this month to satisfy God. It's not just that you fulfilled your church covenant at Norris Ferry. It's not that you just refrained from enough sinful activities. It's that in Christ, you're brand spanking new. You're a new creature. The very essence of your being is grace. Standing in the realm of grace, declared righteous, being made righteous, and will be completely righteous. It's that powerful of a transaction that has taken place in your life when you put your faith in Christ. So you can take it to the bank. You're going to reign in life with Jesus. That's why I love that picture of being hidden in Christ And Christ is in me and I am in Christ. I know what God thinks about Christ. God loves Christ. And if I'm in Christ, he loves me. God would not condemn Christ again. He's poured your wrath out on him and he has satisfied it. He will treat Christ perfectly. If you're in Christ, he will treat you perfectly. You can know that all the heavenly blessings of the, of the spiritual realms that are, are, you, are in Christ, they're yours because you're in Christ. And you know Christ rose from the grave. And you're in Christ. You will raise from the grave. You know Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning eternally. You're in Christ. You will reign with Him over the new heavens and the new earth. That's what has happened when you put your faith in Christ. So he's doing what we saw the writer of Hebrews do. Jesus, in the writer of Hebrews, we say, he kept saying, you know, there's a sacrifice, but Jesus is the greater sacrifice. 
There's a Lamb of God, but Jesus is the Lamb of God. There was a prophet. Jesus is the Word of God. There was a priest, a high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. He's saying there's an Adam. Jesus is the great new Adam. You are a new human, a new being in Christ. So Paul brings this to conclusion in verse 20 and 21. He says, the law came in so that the transgressions would increase. So you would see the sinfulness of sin and the multiplicity of sin as the law revealed it. But he says this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through, in, with, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why can we rest assured that all the blessings of justification are ours? Is because we're in Christ. How can we be certain that God no longer condemns us? It's because we're in Christ. How can we be certain that the sufferings of this world will, will make us not break us because we're in Christ? How will we be certain that we will be fully restored and reign eternally with Christ himself over the new heavens and the new earth? Because we're in Christ. So the obvious question is this. Are you in Christ? Notice what I said. Are you in Christ? We're all in Adam. But not all of us are in Christ. To be in Christ, we must embrace him by faith as the one through whom God does his justifying work. Remember what we said in Romans, that Jesus' blood was the payment for our sin. He redeemed us out of slavery to sin. He's the blood spread on the mercy seat of God. It is his righteousness that we have been credited with and we will experience in actuality when we reign and rule. Are you in Christ by faith? That's the gospel message. If you aren't, why? (laughs) It's awesome. That's my theological term. It's awesome. Be in Christ. Trust him today. And if you are, let the truths of these realities drive deep into the very essence and transform your very identity to understand who you are in Christ. You're a new creature, a new race, a new being, so that all those promises are absolutely, certainly yours. And let it transform how you live each day. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that during the song where we sing about coming to the altar of God as we are, I pray people will do business with you. I know we need it. There are many people here who need to confess their sin and admit their only hope is the blood of Jesus Christ and to receive that gift of righteousness by faith and to be transferred from the old 
race in Adam to the new race in Christ. Lord, as we sing, would you bring about faith to believe this gospel message? Would you give hearts and minds openness to believe and to trust you and embrace you? And may they come and talk to me after church and tell me about their decision to follow you and allow me to walk with them and disciple them. And for others in this room who have not had the understanding that you've provided today, that we have walked as weak Christians, may we mature and grow and deepen our faith that our understanding would be transformative that your faith would transform our hearts, that we would know from the essence and the depths of our being that all of this is ours because, not because I believe it, not because I'm really good at believing or not because I'm really smart at understanding, but because I know that in Christ, I am a completely different person. in Christ and all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are ours in Christ. May it enable us to live each day with hope and joy that transcends our experience of difficulties and trials. May it enable us to face death with courage and boldness, with certainty that it is a transition to restoration at your right hand, waiting for the day that believers are reunited to restored at your presence returning on this earth to enjoy complete full restoration may these be so real in our hearts and minds that it just changes everything about us and if not may we come to the altar and do business with you it's in christ's name we pray amen thank you for listening to audio from norris ferry community church located in shreveport louisiana Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.